Villas Grace Church. Building relationships that make followers of Jesus. Know, grow, go. To know Him, to grow in Him, to go with Him. We continue in our sermon series, James Works of Faith. Because that's exactly what we should do when we have a saving faith in Jesus. Our faith in Christ allows us to produce works, but we do not produce works or we do not manufacture our own works for our salvation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we now focus our attention on your word Please allow your truth to penetrate our hearts through the conviction of your Holy Spirit so we can apply your truth, your word to our lives. We pray this in the name of Jesus who makes it possible. Amen. The United States judicial system says that you are innocent until proven guilty. Therefore, it's vital for all jurors to have an open mind. They can't just go into the courtroom thinking that somebody is guilty. No, they have to go in thinking that this individual is innocent until their guilt has been proven. As Americans, it's comforting for us to know that guilt is never assumed now, isn't it? It's comforting for us to know that if we find ourselves in front of a jury, that it should be fair. However, this is not God's intended system for justice. See, we're judged guilty before we're declared innocent by the Lord. And some of us might think that sounds rather harsh to be considered guilty before you're considered innocent. See, mankind says, at least I'm innocent first and guilty if only proven to be guilty. But God doesn't say that. God is very clear in His Word that we stand before Him guilty first, only to be proven innocent second. Brothers and sisters, God's holiness demands as much. If God were as holy as He is, if God didn't have the central moral trait, His moral attributes, to his character of being holy, then he would definitely say we are innocent before being proven guilty. Because after all, everybody on a jury, they're all in the same boat. All of them are being called to judge the innocent or guilt of another individual when they're all really truly guilty themselves. But see, God is not guilty God is holy. God is without sin. He is the opposite of sin. So therefore, all who stand before him without Jesus are considered guilty before they are considered to be innocent. See, in our court of law, if you're found to be guilty, you'll receive your due punishment. But you don't walk in front of the jury with that quite out the gate. But if I admit our guilt before God, or if we admit our guilt before the Lord, and this is the biggest difference, if we go to the Lord and admit, yes, that we are guilty, that we are sinful, that we were born into sin, 
that admission is really just us sharing our faith in Jesus, and therefore God looks at us as being not necessarily innocent, but he does look at us as being recipients, deserving recipients because of our faith in Jesus, of his mercy. See, we're all guilty and we all deserve eternal punishment. There's not one of us that doesn't deserve eternal punishment. So that's really the reason why we can't say that we're truly innocent. We're guilty. But because of the work in Jesus and what he has done for us upon the cross, we can stand before the Lord receiving his mercy, even though we are truly guilty. See, the good news is that punishment is reserved only for those who reject the person and work of Jesus Christ. That is the truth. Punishment is only for those who reject the person and work of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what it is that you have done in your life. Some of you may be sitting here this morning thinking that you've done some things that are unforgivable, but according to the Lord and what gives us great comfort, and even though that we know that we're guilty before being considered innocent, or really, really what we should be saying here is that we're guilty before receiving God's mercy, our saving faith in Jesus allows us to have an eternal relationship with Him. Brothers and sisters, this admission of guilt should encourage us today in our sermon's title. And that title is this. Act accordingly. Act accordingly. See, we're going to be in James chapter 2, verses 8 through 13, but really act accordingly. Act knowing that you have received the mercy of God because of your faith in Jesus. Now, I'm not going to assume that everybody here today is saved. Even though all sermons are for those who are saved. There is nothing that we could do that is actually bigger than the cross. The cross is the end-all, be-all. What we can't forget is last week, though, because, see, last week, tying into this week, we were encouraged to seek the inward heart of a person rather than their outward prestige. Ultimately, we were encouraged to imitate God because it's exactly what He does with us. God doesn't care about our outward prestige or lack thereof. God cares about our hearts. We know that God is impartial. He shows no partiality. He does not show any prejudice to anybody, and we are being asked to do the same. But today, James is reminding us that we need to live our lives according to God's law. We need to live our lives according to the Ten Commandments, and our text today will remind us to do just that. Our text today will remind us to act accordingly. So let's get into these verses this morning. James chapter 2, verses 8 through 13. If you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. 
For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Amen. So when we put these verses into one sentence that comes up with our main idea this morning, that sentence states this. Those who act accordingly will love others like they love themselves because of the gospel. Those who act accordingly will love others like they love themselves because of the gospel. We begin in verse 8 this morning because we see that verse 8 begins with the word if. If. See, really, this is a word that can be translated as since or because. It's like saying, since you show no partiality or because you show no partiality. After all, what did we just get done going through in verses 1 through 7? We were being told not to show partiality. We were being told not to be prejudice. Now, we must remember chapter 2, verse 1, where James wrote, and he started off by saying, my brothers. As Christians, we know that the Bible is our authority. And that's the reason why we can say that all sermons are for those who believe. God's Word is for those who believe. And that's why James begins this chapter by saying, My brothers. He's talking to fellow Christians. He goes on to write, you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture. See, this royal law actually originates in Leviticus 19, verse 18, where it says this, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. The royal law that's being described here is also verified in John 13, verse 34, where God's word states this, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. We're not done there, though, because the royal law is confirmed in Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10. Oh, no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. And now the royal law is solidified right here. In James chapter 2, verse 8, where it says, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Brothers and sisters, when you love your neighbor as yourself, you're exercising an ability to both love and deny yourself simultaneously. Because if you really want to effectively love someone else, you must first be able to deny yourself. And we know that's what Jesus says himself. You must deny yourself and pick up your cross daily. See, it's natural to love oneself. It's easy for us to love ourselves. 
However, it's not natural for us to love another person in the same way. And I think if we were all really, truly honest with ourselves this morning, we're pretty good at loving ourselves, but not necessarily good at loving other people. Now, I know some of you might be sitting here and say, well, I I deal with, with, with this or I deal with that, or maybe let's just take something simple like depression. You might be thinking, well, it's impossible for me to really love myself the way in which you're, you're saying that I love myself because I'm a really depressed person. No, no, no. See, sometimes what that means is we get so self-focused that we can't focus on other people. We can't serve other people. We're being told to love others like we love ourselves. Now, I'm not saying that this is easy. I'm not saying that something like depression is something that you could just easily overcome, but my point is this, even something like depression where you don't feel like you can do much or maybe even get out of bed, that is preventing you from ultimately loving somebody else. However, it's just not natural for us. Again, we know from Pastor Jared's sermon three weeks ago in James chapter 1, verses 13 through 18, that we are all born sinners. We were born into this sin. Now, the opposite of loving your neighbor as yourself is actually highlighted in verse 9. See, when we show partiality, when we show prejudice, we are, as it says here, committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Brothers and sisters, any act of prejudice whether due to external appearance, skin pigmentation, or social status, is a violation of God's royal law that we see in verse 8. And those who violate God's royal law are all guilty of sin. However, it's one thing to be guilty of sin, but it's another thing to be a transgressor. Those are two different things. See, transgressors are willful and habitual in their sin. Sin is when we fall short. Transgressions are when we take it too far. If we sin, we fall short of the mark. We fall short of the standard that God has called us to. But if we are a transgressor, really what that's saying here is that we are willful We are habitual in our sin. And that means we are doing so without any remorse. Therefore, we are doing so without repentance. Brothers and sisters, it's far better to stand before the Lord as a sinner than it is a transgressor someday. I would rather stand before the Lord as a a sinner who admits my sin than a transgressor. As evidenced from Leviticus 19, John 13, and Romans 8, God is very clear that we are to love your neighbor as yourself. But one last thing that we, we must keep in mind then, because a transgressor is definitely somebody who's not going to be able to love someone else like they love themselves. We need to understand that your neighbor doesn't necessarily mean your next door neighbor or somebody three houses down kitty corner on the right hand side. That's not what this is talking about. 
Your neighbor can be anybody that comes across the path in your life. Anybody. So now, verses 10 and 11, this is where our illustration from the beginning comes into play about the United States judicial system. See, in the United States, we're innocent until proven guilty, right? We're not guilty first and then proven innocent second. No, we are actually innocent until proven guilty. But according to God's royal law, according to the Ten Commandments, we're guilty until proven innocent. Brothers and sisters, we are all guilty of breaking all of God's law. Let me say that one more time. We are all guilty of breaking all of God's law. Every last one of us are in the exact same boat. So if you think that your sin is unforgivable, then you think that you are bigger than the cross. No sin is too big for the cross. This is so contrary to every other religion in the world, though. Every other religion in the world is contrary to this notion. I mean, there's other religions that might say, yeah, you're a sinner, but the way in which they go about getting out of their sin or receiving God's mercy is completely skewed. And we're talking Mormonism, Buddhism, Hinduism, Catholicism, Islam. They're all alike. They all subscribe to the notion, just do more than you do bad, and you will please the Lord. That's not how this works. God did not give us his royal law for this purpose. See, F.B. Meyer says this, he says, a person may observe all the laws of health, but if he inhales one whiff of poison, he may die. So we may be outwardly obedient to the entire Decalogue, which is actually the Ten Commandments, but delinquency and love will invalidate everything. This is the difference between throwing a pebble through a piece of paper or a pebble through a pane of glass. If you throw a pebble through a piece of paper, you're going to get one little hole. But if you throw a pebble through a pane of glass, you might just shatter the whole entire pane. That is us. You commit one sin, you're guilty of all. It doesn't matter. So what's the purpose of the law? Because that's really the question at this point. We've already identified with the fact that we're all guilty, whether we like to hear that or not. We all stand guilty before the Lord. But if we're all guilty, then why did God give us the law? Why do we even have the Ten Commandments? See, the Ten Commandments could be, could be, now I'm saying could, could be looked upon as being something that you look to as guidance in your life you could look at the Ten Commandments as laws that the Lord gave us so that we can kind of keep ourselves out of trouble, so to speak. But that's not entirely true. See, 
The purpose of the Ten Commandments were given to us so our sinfulness could be revealed. There is not one of the Ten Commandments that I have not fallen short of in my sin. I have fallen short on all ten. Now, some of you will sit here and say, wait, 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 hold, hold on a second. Okay, I could see a few of them because I do know you. And I could see you maybe, you know, falling short here or there. But, but wait, you haven't murdered anybody? I beg to differ. If you've harbored hatred in your heart for another human being, you have murdered if you have lusted after someone other than your spouse in your heart, you have committed adultery. Do you see where I'm going here? Not one of us gets a free pass. Not one of us. Which is why I'm okay with subscribing to this notion that we are guilty prior to being proven to be innocent, but really that's still not even the case. We're guilty prior to receiving God's mercy only if we have faith in Jesus. Because what happens when we stand before the Lord, and if we have saving faith in Jesus, Jesus pays that penalty for us. So when we look at the Ten Commandments, we don't look at them to, you know, puff up in pride and say, well, I don't do this or this or this. Yeah, maybe I have a problem with this right here. But everything else, I'm actually a really good person. No, it doesn't work like that. You can't sit there and say, I've done more good than bad. It doesn't work like that. It only works, according to the gospel, if you admit your guilt before the Lord and repent because you know what Jesus did for you upon the cross. And as we move on to our last two verses, we can see that the title of our sermon comes from verse 12. It says, So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. I love that. The law of liberty. I mean, think about it. It's saying, so act as those who are to be judged. You're to be judged under the law of liberty or we're to be judged under the law that actually provides us the freedom necessary to admit our guilt before the Lord so we can receive His mercy. Or we could simply say, act accordingly. Essentially, James is encouraging us not to be Prejudice. And he's doing so by reminding us that we'll be judged under this law of liberty. That gives me great comfort, church. I hope that that gives you comfort as well. Brothers and sisters, again, this judgment will be conducted with or without Jesus. Whether or not you have Jesus or not, you're going to be judged. We know this is true from verse 13 where it says, For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. See, mercy is obtained by grace, which leads to faith in Christ. Grace, it's in our name. Grace is a gift. 
given to us. Even the faith that we have in Jesus has been given to us by God. That is grace. I can't think of any greater act of mercy than God extending His grace to us so we don't have to experience eternal punishment. And really, eternal punishment can be summed up like this. It's a life lived forever outside of the presence of God. And those who have saving faith in Jesus are sinners, but they're not transgressors. And there's a difference. Again, we are all sinful, but we are only considered to be transgressors in the eyes of the Lord if we refuse to repent from our sinfulness. A transgression that we commit is something that is done intentionally with habit. So as Joe comes up and and joins me, we must understand that faith in Jesus frees us from the bondage We must understand that faith in Jesus frees us from judgment. We must understand that faith in Jesus frees us from the punishment of sin or from sin. Faith in Jesus produces good works, which are works in faith. We don't do work to receive our faith. We don't do work to please God so we can receive eternal life. We're already guilty. There's nothing that we could do on our own to remove the guilt that's on our record. The only thing that will take away our guilt is our faith in Jesus. It's Him and His work that has made us right before the Lord. It is Him and His work that has allowed God to extend us mercy. It is Him and His work that has made it so God can be in a relationship with us for all of eternity. Faith in Jesus produces good works, which are just simply works of faith. We serve others. We love others like ourselves because of our faith in Christ. It's our faith that gives us the motivation to get out and serve others. Brothers and sisters, transgressors are prejudiced. Transgressors can uphold 99% of the law and fail in only 1%. And that prejudice would shatter the entire pane of glass. There will be no mercy for transgressors because transgressors themselves show no mercy. They don't even show mercy to the ability to repent of their sin. Transgressors do not love their neighbor as themselves. Brothers and sisters, we need to be an example. We need to be an example of what it's like to be sinners, not transgressors. And I'm okay with saying that. I'm okay with saying that it's okay for us to be an example of a sinner because at the end of the day, whether you are a sinner or a transgressor, it doesn't matter because both still need Jesus. An example of a transgressor will never lead somebody else to Christ. But an example of a sinful person will lead Jesus or lead others to Jesus because they're willing to repent of their sin and let others know that it is because of him and his work that they are saved. 
one knows the truth, the other doesn't. But the one who knows the truth, that they are simply a sinner in need of a Savior, those are the ones who act accordingly. So when we look at this text today, I don't know what it is that, that you're seeing, but I can tell you what's very clear to me. Acting accordingly to the gospel is simply just knowing that you're guilty before the Lord. Acting accordingly to the gospel is us admitting that we need Jesus. And the more we walk with Jesus, the more we'll realize how much it is that we actually need him. Church, what does it say? Convicted by the law as transgressors. We simply can't do that. We cannot go on sinning habitually, continually. We must repent. And this is the reason why today we said this in our main idea. Those who act accordingly will love all others like they love themselves because of the gospel. No one will ever be able to ever love efficiently or effectively outside of the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news is for hell-deserving sinners that know that they are saved through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, our prayer is to share our faith and disciple one another, especially as it pertains to being encouraged in your good news, your gospel message. Lord, as we continue on throughout this week, I just pray that if there's any of us, any that have yet to truly repent of their sin. If there's any of us here today that know that we are just being transgressors, Lord, I pray that you move in the hearts of these individuals through your Holy Spirit to convict for the purpose of repentance, for the ultimate purpose of being able to effectively share eternal life that's only achieved through faith in Christ. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com or drop us a line via email, connect at villasgrace.com.